Let me read uh, a scripture right now that sort of fits the theme of this teaching. Uh, This is from Acts 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So we see a pattern going right back to the time of the Acts of the Apostles, in which God uses even persecution to accomplish his goals. And his goal in this case was to scatter the gospel. And then you see right away the stories of of Philip and uh, uh, all the apostles, uh, Philip especially right in the next chapter, and and then further along, uh, Paul and Barnabas and all of the others, uh, they're all scattering, and they're going to bring the gospel out to, well, in every direction, but especially we're tracing it to the West. Okay, so um, persecution is a part of God's plan. And we may wonder, why did God permit a sad time for Scotland? Um, And he's even telling John Welsh, there is coming a sad time for Scotland. And and that's going to be persecution of the Christians. And we're going to see that the result of that persecution is going to be a scattering. And the result of the scattering is that times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord is going to go westward. That pattern is going to go westward because the awakened Christians are going to scatter and bring that pattern to America. And all of this is going to happen because of another false teaching, a, a, a stronghold of deception that the enemy is going to plant inside the church that exalts itself against the word of God. And that teaching is the divine right of kings. It's a doctrine that we've almost completely forgotten about today. But in the 17th century, it was the issue. It was the main issue, especially in England and in the, on the continent. But England is going to work out this issue with a great deal of pain, actual agony, a lot of persecution. First of all, let me say that the Bible of the Reformation was the Geneva Bible, and it established in the notes, there were a lot of notes that were added in by the Reformers, to explain how to interpret uh, different scriptures. And during the process of putting the notes in the Geneva Bible, the Reformers made it very clear that the divine right of kings was a heretical doctrine. It did not fit the pattern of sound teaching in the word of God. So they they came against it. All right, now, Andrew Melville, who was a, uh, a Scottish pastor, he was that third generation of leaders. You have George Wishart, then you have John Knox, and then you have Andrew Melville. He was actually the mentor for John Welch. So he was a, really the, the main leader of the Scottish Reformation. Here he is. Uh, let me show you his picture. Andrew Melville wrote a letter to 
James, and this is what he said. Um, after James had uh, closed down the General Assembly and done all these things that I explained in the, in the last teaching, and he says, Now, sir, we must tell you that there are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There is King James, the head of the commonwealth, and there is Christ Jesus, the head of the church, whose subject King James is, and of whose kingdom he is not a lord, but a member. And they whom Christ has appointed to watch over his spiritual kingdom have sufficient power and authority so to do, which no Christian king or prince should control or discourage, but assist and support. Otherwise, they are not loyal subjects to Christ. Oh, this is getting down and dirty where the rubber meets the road. You know, he was really telling James where he belonged in the kingdom of God, and James did not like it. Okay, James responded by doing the same thing to Andrew Melville that he had just done to John Welsh. Okay, he banished him from the realm forever. If you're not going to play by my rules, you're not going to play here in this kingdom. So be gone with you. And that's the way King James was. And he was establishing this prim prim primary lordship of the King of England over the church because he did not like anybody challenging his will, even in the church. So as he's going now to England and he's establishing himself as the head of the English church under the divine right of kings, he's going to go to parliament several times to defend the doctrine of the divine right of kings until everybody has agreed, yes, this is what we believe in England. So uh, James's main goal and his main uh, effect as a king of England, it really he did very little else, um, was to establish the divine right of kings as an acceptable practice for all England for the foreseeable future. That means that the uh, kings of England, kings and queens of England are going to be able to speak into the church whatever they want and it will be done through the Archbishop of Canterbury who dictates everything down through the hierarchy and it's all going to happen according to whatever the Regent of England uh, says. Okay, and this is going to cause um, a dynasty that's going to persecute Christians more than any other of the kings of England. First, you have King James. Then you have his son, Charles I. And then you have his James's grandson, Charles II. These three kings are going to operate under the doctrine of the divine right of kings, and they are going to rule the church, sometimes with an iron fist. Whatever they say is what the church is going to have to do. So... Um, this is really going to cause a, an enormous amount of suffering. These three kings are going to be responsible for uh, persecution of all Christians who don't toe the mark, and that's going to mean um, 
everybody except the old line Anglicans, all right? Old line Anglicans are going to get along just fine with these kings, but everybody else is going to be persecuted um, with a vengeance. And it's going to lead to two distinct types of Christians. Okay, where have we heard this before? There's going to be one group of Christians who are spiritually awakened through a series of waves of spiritual awakening. And the one thing they're going to be learning how to do is to listen to God, to hear the voice of the king. And they are going to believe in listening to God and practice it. And God is going to be pulling them through these successive waves of spiritual awakening so that more and more people are learning how to listen to God. But then there are going to be the old line Anglicans who think that it's dangerous for anybody to think that they hear God or can listen to Jesus or, or follow what Jesus is saying, that this is a dangerous teaching. It shouldn't be taught in England. Instead, all true Christians are going to simply obey the king of England. The king Obeying the king is going to be the mark of loyal Christianity. Okay, so we've got by my spirit Christians who are following the king by learning to listen to the king, Jesus. And then we've got the other group, the power and might Christians, are simply going to uh, follow the king of England. Two different kings and two different ideas of how the church should pursue the word of God. Okay, so now let's take this man as an example, George Fox. George Fox is going to live during the reign of Charles I and then Charles II with Oliver Cromwell and the, the Civil War, the English Civil War coming in between those two, but it's mainly going to be Charles I and Charles II. And George Fox is hearing from God, and he's just an ordinary person, just a, an ordinary guy, and, uh, and he's hearing from God now. God is speaking to ordinary people by now, and and the, the teaching has gotten out that God does speak to just ordinary folks. And so George Fox is going to go out and he's going to start a society, the Society of Friends. And, um, and these people are eventually going to be called Quakers. I could go into that story. There's not really time. But it, 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 it came from some um, occasions where George Fox was brought up for trial. George Fox spent years of his life in prison, and so did the Quakers. The Quakers were fiercely persecuted. Why would they be persecuted? Well, one of the reasons was that George Fox was training them how to listen to God. And so what they would do is they would come together and they wouldn't go through a litany or, or any kind of thing like that. They'd come together and just be quiet. Well, why would they do that? It's because the whole point of coming together was to see if God would speak to them. And so this isn't a, a monastic movement. You, you get this? It's not a monastic movement. It is ordinary people beginning to realize 
now ordinary people can hear from God. The, the sheep will hear the voice of the shepherd. John 10, it really happens. Um, the, the anointing that is in you is true and does not lie. First John chapter 2. Every person can hear from God. And so they're, they're getting excited about this and they're coming together and say, let's see what God would, would speak to us now. And so they'd be quiet. And, um, and, but you, you can understand the old line Anglicans. First of all, they thought this was weird. And secondly, it didn't fit in with anything that King Charles I or King Charles II dictated as the way that you should do church. And so, they're getting put in prison. They are ridiculed. They are uh, just every imaginable kind of difficulty is being thrown in their path because God is teaching people the by my spirit pattern. You see, it's not just a doctrine, but it is a pattern of life that these folks are really learning and they're getting excited about it. They're not going to give up on it just because King Charles says that they should. So you've got a real a real problem here and um, it's it's going to increase unimaginably. Um, by the end of George Fox's life, a tenth of the population of England is going to be Quakers. Plus there's going to be a whole lot of people that have moved to the continent to places like Pennsylvania and other places so that the tenth of the population doesn't even give you a picture of how many people we're talking about. These are major numbers of people who are learning to listen to God, and then he's speaking into their lives things that are going to be different from what Charles I and Charles II are teaching. And it starts with the Quakers. How about the Baptists? Um, you may have heard of John Bunyan. Uh, he wrote um, Pilgrim's Progress entirely from prison, the prison of Charles II. Um, there's going to be uh, this whole movement of the Covenanters in Scotland, and these are people who are going to go out into the fields, into what they call conventicles. Here's a picture of, of a conventicle. Uh, the, the Scottish people would would go out in large numbers into the fields or into the forests. And here they've got uh, people that they've put uh, on watch because if the Anglican bishops and their sheriffs would find out about this gathering, they would, they would send in um, the army and uh, catch people and hang them from the nearest tree or put them in prison and torment them. I mean, horrible things happened to the Scottish people. It was a sad time. And then you've got the Puritans, the Puritans in England. And, and there are going to be waves of awakening here in England, but um, Charles II isn't going to like this. And so it, there's a, an act called the Great Ejection in which Charles simply dismisses everybody, every awakened Christian, everyone who believed that they were hearing from God and who didn't just do what the king said was dismissed from their pulpits by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So where did all these people go? Well, this is where they went. 
You see, they went to this country and they ended up in the northern colonies, in places like Connecticut, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Okay, the Puritans ended up in Connecticut and Massachusetts. The Presbyterians ended up mainly in New Jersey, and the Quakers ended up in Pennsylvania. So all of these people came to this country, the, the United States of America, before it became the United States, and they ended up in the northern colonies, not in the south, because in the south, in places like where I live, Charles City County, which is right next to James City County, these counties were named for the King of England. You know, if you were escaping that king and going to find a haven where you can get away from that king, you wouldn't name your county after that the king that, who had been persecuting you and your people and your family. So you don't find counties in the north named after any kings, but all through the south you find that the names are the names of the, of the kings and queens of England. 